On Wednesday night, there was a passage. We were looking at Sodom and Gomorrah, and we were looking at a passage from the New Testament concerning Lot, which says that righteous Lot was vexed. They use that term in the New King James to just tell about the turmoil that Lot had in his soul when he saw the condition of the city of Sodom. It vexed his soul. And, you know, my soul has been vexed seeing the condition of our country, what's going on in our country, hearing news that even this past week of possibility of remasking and lockdowns and, you know, another 15 days to stop the spread. I think we're at 500 and plus days of that first round. And uh, we were at actually a, a home going yesterday, celebrating the life of Cindy Ball. And uh, she had passed away over a month ago, but they had a time of remembrance. And at Sparks House, they shut down the block, kind of had a block party. And it was just so refreshing. I, I think I've seen one or two people of the hundred or so that were there wearing masks. That's up to them. But it was so refreshing to worship together, to fellowship together, and uh, to do life as God has called us to do. And that's been challenged, and it will be challenged. It will continue to be challenged. There's no doubt of power play that is in our government, and they're wanting to make changes that we are not accustomed to. So I find myself in that vexed, in that turmoil personally, because first, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And second, I'm a citizen of the United States. And I understand the rights that we have as citizens of the United States being infringed upon. But as a believer of Jesus Christ, I also understand how I should conduct myself and to find that balance between the two. To be a believer in Jesus Christ has always come first for me. And it's good to remind us of this when the world is vexing our hearts and just troubling our souls to come to the communion table once again. And Paul, could you just help us out if uh, someone did not receive the elements? We have the portable cups here. We're trying to get rid of these. We bought a lot of them last year. Just make sure everybody has that before we serve communion. And, uh, just want to take a time to remember when the world is vexing, troubling to our souls. It's good to remember the price that Jesus Christ paid, that we might be free and that we might be set free from the eternal perspective. In this world, the Lord said, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And the overcoming of the world came through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his death his burial, and his resurrection. And prior to Jesus going to the cross, there at that last meal, what we know today as the Last Supper, with Jesus and his disciples, after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, and toward the end of that meal, he took the cup and he took the bread. And he declared a new covenant that he was giving to his church, to the church body. And we're going to remember that new covenant here with communion, remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the work he did on the cross. It was there at that communion meal that Jesus took bread, the Bible tells us, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, all of you, for this is my body which is broken for you. So, Father, we take this bread today, this small little wafer that we have, representative of your sinless body. Also, Lord, reminding us of your word that tells us both in the book of Leviticus and in the book of the book of Hebrews, both in the Old and the New Testaments, that it is by your stripes that we are healed. And so, Father, we ask that your healing touch would be upon our lives. Perhaps, Lord, there is physical healing that needs to take place. We got an email from one of our brothers yesterday here in the church of his daughter and 
his daughter's mother-in-law, who both have COVID now. There's healing that needs to take place for them. Learned this morning of a sister here in the fellowship that her back went out yesterday, Lord. There's healing, physical healing. So many of us, Lord, there's physical issues. But also, Lord, there's those emotional pains and hurts, and those spiritual hurts, that it's by your stripes we are healed. And so, Lord, as we come to the communion table today, Lord, we thank you that through your broken body, that suffering that you endured upon the cross, through faith in your work, Lord, that that healing touch is available to each of us in the body of Christ. And I would also say that those who are outside of the body of Christ, for sometimes, Lord, you may choose to heal someone who is not a believer, but through the process of that healing, they come to faith in you, knowing that their healing is from you. So we thank you, Lord, for your marvelous works. We thank you, Jesus, for your body, which was broken, that we might be healed. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may eat the bread. Again, at that communion meal, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he told them to drink from it, all of you. And this is the blood of my new covenant. And the Bible tells us once again, it's in the book of Leviticus and also we find it in the book of Hebrews, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so both in the Old and the New Testaments, the Bible points to forgiveness that leads to a relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son coming through the sacrifice, the shedding of blood. But the Bible also clearly points out that In the Hebrew tradition of the sacrifice, it was something that had to be offered daily. There was a lamb offered in the morning, one in the evening for the nation of Israel. Uh, There were personal um, offerings that was offered by the people of Israel. Perhaps there were community offerings uh, for the nation when they would come together in times of worship. And then there was the Day of Atonement when the high priest would enter in once a year into the Holy of Holies. He did not enter into the Holy of Holy without the blood. It was necessary. The blood was necessary for the remission, the forgiveness of sin. But those were sacrifices that had to be repeated annually, monthly, daily, depending on the sacrifice that we read about in the Old Testament. But Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, he offered his life upon the cross once and for all. Once and for all. No longer... Uh, do we have to look for an atoning blood outside of Christ? It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin, according to the word of God. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your willingness to come and to give your life. Father God, we thank you that you demonstrate your love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Nearly 2,000 years ago, from our perspective, Lord Jesus Christ, you paid the price of our sin that we might enter into fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we enter in by faith. We enter in by repentance of our sins. We enter in by the washing of the water of your word. We enter in because of the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So today, Lord, as believers, as we drink this cup, we're reminded of the price that you paid, both the body and the blood. But also, Lord, it's through your blood that we are covered and we have fellowship with you. And we thank you for that this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may drink the cup. And the Bible tells us as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so with the taking of communion, it's not merely just a remembrance of what Christ did for us in the past. It is also a proclamation that Jesus Christ is coming again. 
And we look forward to the Lord's coming, that he would, as the Bible tells us, as we will learn in our study in the book of Revelation in the very last chapter, the prayer of the church, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. Have you uttered those words over the last year plus? (laughs) In the struggles of this world we find ourselves in? Yes, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. Let's run through just a couple of announcements and we'll get into the teaching of God's word. We have David Piarazzo's book, uh, One Left, in the book room. And I'm leery about ordering a lot of books at our church because I know sometimes they sit around, but we only have one available in the book room. Those are available for you for $11. David's author page got suspended for a day or two from Facebook. They didn't like something that he reposted, and the Facebook police came after him this week. And yesterday he said the page was working again, so I guess he was forgiven. He'll just keep proclaiming the word and let it fall what may. So David's book, Canceling Christianity. Here's the thing that really bothers me is that Christian books distributors, uh, I just ordered books for our men's and women's study breakfast that will begin in the fall this week from them. They refuse to carry David's book. So it's just deemed This is too controversial. It's a good book. It's worth a read. We also have some freebies back there. The Jesus Style, I'd mentioned this last week. Gail Irwin, unable to hit the road last year because of COVID and the lockdowns, living out in California was even stricter than here in Illinois. He began to give away his books, and so we got a case of the Jesus Style. There's a number of them. You can take one for yourself. You can take one for friends or family members as well. Take them until they're gone. I'm good with that. We also have a new issue of Calvary Magazine in the foyer, or maybe on the back table back there. And uh, this is the last week for Family Camp participation forms to be filled out. We have to get that headcount in, so I'd encourage you to, if you have not filled out the forms, get those filled out and turned in, and you can do that. Uh, Just giving it to Pastor Kevin, that would be good. I was going to say you could put it in the agape box, but that would be like, wadding it up into a small little it wouldn't fit that's a big piece of paper for that small slit there also our radio we're streaming the radio station i've announced that for three weeks this is the third sunday and uh dave dew was uh just texting me he was like halfway down to peoria listening to our station this week and uh texted me back later and he said he just pretty much friday night driving uh, to go to a memorial service on Saturday for a close friend of his who uh, we should be very grateful for. As we know, Dave Dew, the master of family camp, the master, yes, the in the sense of he's the one that's been directing it. Well, the person that did that for Dave when and his family is the memorial service that David went to. So this patriarch of family camp, he went to go celebrate with that family this man's passing into heaven's glory. But he was just able to listen to the radio ministry. And that's tremendous. Again, just keep sharing that. If you uh, go to WLGSradio.com, you can get that link yourself. You can share it with your friends and family. I've been doing it. How's it going to get out there unless we share it with other people? And so I would encourage you to do that. And we're working on the process of building the apps, and we'll have that available fairly soon, I would think, as well. Let's see. I'm pulling from memory. There's other things in the bulletin. It is family camp coming up this week. Wednesday, we're going to be in Genesis chapters 20 and 21. And I titled that Laughter. And if you don't know why I would title that laughter. You can learn on Wednesday night. And then Friday, it's family camp, and Travis Lee Band will be doing a live worship set for us on Friday evening, and we'll have our Saturday teachings and then fellowship together on Sunday. So be praying for family camp and God's blessing upon that. And also, one final thing, if you'd like to support the ministry of Calvary Chapel, you can do so through cclv.org forward slash donate. You can find that. cclv.org. You can find out information about our church there. 
And I want to go ahead and just pray for the teaching of God's word and pray for the offertory today. Here, of course, there's the agape box in the back if you're worshiping with us today and would like to support our ministry. So, Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. And, Lord, we ask that you would be with our technology. Technology is is what it is, and we can't do a lot about it, but we try to do our best with the technology that you've given us. We pray, Father, that you would continue to watch over this church. We thank you, Lord, for your great grace. And we pray, Father, that you would just bless now the gifts given to this fellowship to help us continue to do the work that you've called us to do. Pray for our nation, Lord. There's talks in our government of new lockdowns, and um, even here in the state of Illinois. And, Father, it's just... uh, there's truth mingled with untruth, so it's kind of hard to take everything in at times. We pray, Lord, that you would give us discernment. As we conduct ourselves in this world, may we represent Christ. And we pray, Lord, a blessing upon the teaching of your word this day. As we look here in Revelation chapter 9, and we see, Lord, the condition of man's heart, we see a clear picture, Lord, of the unrepented heart of man through Revelation 9. And it doesn't really surprise us, but it, Lord, makes our hearts ache. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to have hearts that are ready for repentance, ready to fall before you as we walk in fellowship with you at all times. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're here in Revelation chapter 9, and we... In our last study in the Revelation of Jesus Christ or in the book of Revelation, we went through four of the seven trumpet judgments of God. Four of the seven had already sounded. We read about those in chapter 8. At the sounding of these four trumpets, cataclysmic events that really originated from the heavens. Every one of the four trumpets, it originated from the heavens And it brought calamity, great calamity upon the earth. And since the seven trumpet blasts are still future events that's been foretold to us in God's holy word, we have seen there in the first trumpet judgment, hail and fire mingled with blood that would cause a third of the trees to be burned up. And it says, along with all the grass of the earth. And we've seen... Even today, I was watching Amir Sarfati uh, doing a report about what's going on in the Middle East, and he was talking about just the many uh, areas of the Middle East that are burning, from Greece to uh, Syria and just different areas. He said it's the hottest time of the year for us. It's a very dry and arid uh, region over there in the Middle East, much like California, and there are fires. And just a couple of weeks ago, Lily said it's kind of, hazy out in the morning and I said well that's the fires out west here in the United States they're causing this morning haze we're getting the the ash in the atmosphere I guess affecting us but here in the first trumpet judgment we find that all the grass is burned up can you imagine that the sound of the second trumpet a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into a sea so we envision a some kind of uh, meteor or something from space falling into the oceans. And we find there that it caused a third of the aquatic life and a third of the ships to be destroyed. We looked at that last week where right now 95% of all goods are transported uh, via ships. I mean, we're either talking about the raw material or the finished products that are either coming from China or India are coming from the United States, going, they're going back and forth, and to interrupt that, the damage it could have upon the earth itself. On the third trumpet sound, a star falls from heaven, a burning torch that results, that actually is named Wormwood. It hits the rivers, it, it, it causes the rivers, the fresh water supply, a third of it to turn bitter. And at the fourth trumpet blast, a third of the sun, the moon, the stars are darkened. 
And this is only the beginning. After the four trumpet judgments, there were, as we closed out last week in verse 13, John said, Revelation 8:13. I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet and the three angels who are about to sound. And so there was a pause from between trumpet four and trumpet five with this angel pronouncing three woes. The three woes coincide with the last three trumpet blasts. We're going to look at two of those trumpet blasts here in chapter nine. And then we're going to have a break until the seventh trumpet is sounded. And so we'll have a break in the study in the book of Revelation as John will tell us about other things taking place in the heavens as he begins that in chapter 10. But we'll look at the trumpet number six or five and six. And these three woes that are given to us here. For these next two blasts, the woes and the trumpets that come with them, we find that there's an unleashing of a great demonic activity upon the earth. Uh, There was demonic activity upon the earth in the days of Jesus. I believe that there is demonic activity upon the earth to this present time. But we also learn in Scripture that the Lord is holding back. It could be much worse. When people say, man, it's like hell on earth. Well, it will be one day. But the Lord is holding some of these demons back. But as we will see in chapter 9, they will be released. And the earth will suffer greatly because of it. Today we're going to look at the events that will take place during the sounding of the fifth and the sixth trumpet judgments of God. I titled the message, The Unrepented. And... In Revelation 9, we find the sounding of the fifth trumpet and the first woe. And also, we find the sixth trumpet blast, verses 13 through 21, the second woe. And again, we just ask God to bless the teaching of his word as we get into his word this morning. We read in verses 1 and 2 with the fifth angel. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and a star fallen from heaven to the earth, and to him was given a key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and the smoke arose out of the pit like a smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And so with the sounding of the fifth trumpet, here we find that this star that fell, it's actually personified. He speaks about this star, and it says, to him was given. And so this is not a physical, an asteroid, a meteor, a star from the heavens, a planet falling to the earth. This is spiritual. To him was given. We know that Lucifer, that Satan, is such a fallen angel. According to the word of God in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, the word of God tells us, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mountain of the congregation of the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to shield, to the lowest depths of the pits. Satan is one of those fallen angels. There in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, as we just read, there were five I will statements of Lucifer, of Satan. And God said, it's not going to be. You're not going to rise up and take my place. You're actually going to be cast down. And Ezekiel 28:12 through 17. The word of God tells us, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. And the king of Tyre here, uh, though physically a real person at that time, also is symbolic of Satan. Listen to how it's written. It, it fits perfectly for Satan. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels or your pipes, your lungs. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. And by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. That Satan was one of these stars that the Lord cast down. Lucifer. It comes from a Hebrew word, that name, Lucifer. Helael. It means morning star or the shining one. Satan has been in opposition against the Lord and his people since his fall from heaven. And after he attempted to exalt himself from the throne of God, we find that one day Satan will be cast out of heaven into eternal judgment, into the lake of fire. But that day has not been complete as of yet. When the 70 disciples went forth, when Jesus sent out 70 disciples, yes, I said 70. We always speak about the 12, but there was a a portion of Scripture in Luke's Gospel that tells us that he sent out 70 two by two. And when they came back, they were sharing with Jesus all the wonderful things that they had seen, that they had done, and also the healing of the sick, the casting out of demons, the power that the Lord worked through them. They were amazed. And they were excited to share this with the Lord. And Jesus responded to them, in Luke 10:18 saying I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. In Revelation 12:4 we're going to learn about this great fiery red dragon that will draw a third of the stars from heaven and throw them to the ground. I believe that the third of those stars represent the demonic uh, beings that we are talking about here now when we talk about fallen angels that now roam the earth or perhaps even now are locked away, but one day will be released upon the earth. As we read about here with the fifth trumpet judgment, as it says to the star that was cast down to him, verse 1 again, was given the key to the bottomless pits. Now in Revelation 1.18, the Lord Jesus told John, I have the keys of both Hades and death. And now that key is given to the angel over the bottomless pits that he might open that pit and destruction would come upon this earth. He opened the bottomless pit, verse 2, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pits. And so that pit, bottomless pit in the Greek, it's a buso, and it means to be an abyss, a deep place upon the earth, Uh, It only occurs twice outside of the book of Revelation. We find it in Romans 10, 7, also in Luke 8, 31. And in both of those places, it speaks about the abode, the place of the dead, or the prison of the departed evil spirits. And here in Revelation, we find it in chapters 9, 11, 17, and 20. And we find that it is a place where demonic forces have been imprisoned and or where one day uh, the Antichrist, the false prophet, even Satan himself will be bound and cast into this pit for a period of a thousand years. But this place somewhere upon the earth at this time, according to the word of God, horrific demonic beings are being held there. In Jude 6, Jude tells us, the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. So once again, I believe to this day that there are demonic forces, activities. When I was in uh, South Sudan and I was riding around with Michael, one of the chaplains uh, who is now the head chaplain there in Nimli in South Sudan over the 
chaplain's ministry, and he is the head chaplain of that base now. At the time, he was the assistant. We were riding around in Nimley, and he rode past uh, a witch doctor. He pointed it out to me, and he said, they're wicked people. He was raised in that himself. And they, you know, they seek out that demonic forces to show them great power. They're looking for power in that sense. And we find it even today. And, and here in the United States, sadly, it it's, uh, seemed to be demonic activities seem to be tried to be softened. We have shows like The Good Witch. Is that an oxymoron? Can it be such a thing? Can you be a witch and can you be truly good in the sight of God? I would say no. But we have a softening of characters to where we even have... Uh, I was just thinking, I've never seen one of the movies, but I assume, you know, Hellboy. He's some demonic being that fights good. Does it actually do good? If they do, they have a satanic purpose behind it. The Antichrist will. He'll have a, a peace treaty for seven years. The world will say, this is great. We have a guy, and the world right now is looking for someone to lead. The world is looking for someone to lead. And he will sign a peace treaty. For much of the world, it will seem good. But in the middle of that seven-year covenant, he will break the treaty. He will exalt himself in the temple of God as God. It seems good, but he has a satanic purpose behind it. So this pit is now... Open, and what follows is this great misery upon the earth. In verses 3 through 6, we find that death takes a holiday, actually. Out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and to them was given power. As of scorpions of the earth have power, and they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth. All the grass was burned up. So it can't do that. It's already been burned up. Grass burns and grows back. We know that. But not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so John did his best for us to describe these demonic locusts that he saw having the power of scorpions in their tails. So he uses it quite often saying like, like, but not quite like. I haven't seen a locust with a scorpion's tail. That would be very frightening, especially locusts that cover the earth. We had that in Africa last year. Uh, just mass devastation of the a locust coming and just clearing out sections of vegetation and stuff. But these are commanded not to do that. They're commanded not to harm the earth, any green thing. And also not to harm those who have the seal of God upon their foreheads. See, we find that even in God's judgment, he limits the power of Satan. We found this in Job. When the Bible tells us that Satan and the sons of God went before God, that Satan was there, and the Lord said to Satan in Job 1 and 12, uh, where have you been? And Satan replied, I've been going to and throw throughout the whole earth and it's like what's your opinion he says well i was thinking about this guy job it's like man you got this hedge of protection around him and satan kind of just challenging god saying i bet if you would take down that hedge of protection and let me bring harm against this man that he will curse you to your face and the, the lord god said behold job 1:12, all that he has is in your power only do not lay a hand on his person. And great devastation came upon Job's life. All that he owned, his animals, his crops, and even his children, Satan took them all. And yet he was limited by God to touch the life of Job. And how did Job respond in that first challenge? Well, he didn't know that he was in a challenge that there was something in the spiritual realm going on. But his response was, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
I don't know if we get to that level in this life. There are times, though, that when we're pushed hard by this world, I think it's only the Spirit of God that we're able to rise up to those occasions to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. It's only God that can do that. And I would encourage you that it's only because we as children of God who worship the Lord Jesus Christ and daily as we learn from the Lord and maintain this biblical world view. One of the brothers here in the church shared with me this week an email that uh, he said just this day we had a meeting at our workplace and they said that at our workplace, they said that we need to unlearn the things that we have learned in this world. Now, from a spiritual perspective, I would say yes. There's a lot of things in this world we need to unlearn, but what do we fill that void with? You either fill it with the knowledge of this world, which is what they were saying. You need to have acceptance of different races and different sexual preferences. That was what their message was. But what we need to do is unlearn the things of this world that we might have a biblical worldview, a biblical perspective that when the trials of life come, we're able to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And as Satan went back to God and God saying, Satan, so how did it work out? And Satan said, flesh. You didn't let me touch his flesh. That's why he didn't curse you. Yeah, I, I killed his ten children. I took all his wealth. But he still has his flesh. He's intact. And again, the Lord responded and said in Job 2.6, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. And so Satan made Job's life miserable with boils that came up on his flesh. So much so, the Bible tells us that he sat in the ash heaps and he took broken pottery and he scraped his flesh. And yet he still refused to curse God. Job was not a perfect man, but he was a man that stood in his faith in difficult times. And that's all we can desire to be. For I know that I am not a perfect man, and I know that you're not a perfect person yourself. But with the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, the empowering of his Holy Spirit, the guidance of his word, he will enable us to stand in these last days. In Revelation 7, we learned of 144,000 in Israel, from the 12 tribes of Israel, that will be sealed and have the seal of God on their forehead. Not the 144,000 that the JWs talk about they're taking that and making it something of their own religion, but not that of what God teaches. Those who have the seal of God upon their forehead, these demonic locusts will not be able to touch. But all others. Verse 5 and 6, it says, they were given authority to not to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Again, God limiting his power. Their lives, it could be much like Job 6 too, where the Lord said about Job to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Now we find perhaps in a similar way the Lord saying, They are in your hand, but spare their lives. For a period of five months, death will take a holiday. Those who are stung by these demonic locusts with these scorpion-like tails, they will suffer in great torment. They will seek death but not be able to find it. And it could be a possibility that many will try to take their lives but will be unsuccessful. It might very well be a time, again, a TV show that I've never watched, but I've seen the commercials. They might be setting us up for a real time of the walking dead on earth for a five-month period. As these demons, verses 7 through 10, the shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. 
They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running in battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. You know, some have said that John's trying to describe the weapons of modern warfare. Some have actually connected this to John was seeing a modern-day helicopter with stinger missiles. And so they had faces like men, a couple of guys in the cockpit flying the helicopter around. I don't know how you can get the golden hair on there. Maybe they paint some golden stripes on their helicopter. The military like to kind of put their own touches on their war machines. The helicopter blades that pop, 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 that we hear in the air, you know, that sound of chariots. I don't know. I haven't been to many chariot races, so I can't quite identify with that. But I've seen them on TV. (laughs) But tell me this, a Stinger missile, is it designed to hurt or to kill? See, these demons, they're designed to hurt, but not to kill. The weapons of our warfare are designed to take life. So this seems to be, to me, Again, I'll just say it flat out. I read the book of Revelation. I take it literally. And these are things that we cannot relate to because, you know, we haven't been given the vision that John was given. One day these creatures will be turned loose upon this earth. Although God can use technology of today, and I believe that he will use the technology of the day. We get to uh, Revelation chapter 13. We talk about the mark of the beast, 666. We're going to see that we know very well today that there is the technology that is capable of putting a mark on every man, woman, and child throughout the world. We know that the technology will be used, but no doubt it's easier just to see that here there are some type of demonic beings that will be loosened upon this earth from the bottomless pit that will cause great torment upon the earth for a period of five months. In Matthew 24, 21 and 22, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be unless those days were shortened. Again, God limits. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And 11 and 12, they had a king over them. The angel of the bottomless pit, his name was Abaddon in the Greek and Apollyon in the Hebrew. So they give us both. I said that backwards. The Hebrew is Abaddon. The Greek is Apollyon. Verse 12, one woe is past. Behold, two more woes are coming after these things. So in the Hebrew, Abaddon, it designates this abode of the unbelievers following death It's also synonymous with shield, but here it is given as a proper name to the king over the bottomless pit, Abaddon. Apollyon, it's equivalent in the Greek. It literally means destroyer. And it's often connected with Apollos or Apollo, the god of pestilence, uh, the Greek mythology, the destroyer, perfect names. For Satan, Abaddon, and Apollyon. In Revelation 12:9, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has overcome Satan. As our victor, Jesus is able to restore the years that Satan's destructive ways has had upon our lives as it says in Joel 2:25 so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten the crawling locust the consuming locust the chewing locust my great army which I've sent among you God is a God of restoration and he is able to restore that which the locust has come to destroy So one woe has passed, that fifth trumpet judgment of God. 
two more woes are coming. Jesus said to Peter, in Luke 22, 31 and 32, he said, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. I always love that picture that Jesus gave to Peter because I've done some sifting of flour before in my life. Or maybe in construction, we need to screen out some material. And so you're screening out rocks to get pure sand or whatever you're after. Sifting, and there's some shaking back and forth. I just always love that picture. I kind of picture Peter kind of being tossed back and forth in this big sifter. Ah! And yet the Lord's saying, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost because he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is praying for us. And may the blood of Jesus Christ protect us from Satan's desire over our souls. I believe that Satan does challenge the Lord, maybe like Peter, maybe like Job at times, seasons in our lives. Let's see how they stand. Will they stand firm? In the sounding of the sixth trumpet, the second woe, we find in verses 13 through 21. And in verses 13 and 15, he says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from four horns of the altar, which is before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates for the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So at the sounding of the sixth trumpet judgment of God, John heard this voice coming from the horns of the altar that stood before the throne of God Perhaps John, hearing now the voice of Jesus. Because the Bible teaches us that Jesus has become the high priest there because of the blood in Hebrews 9:12, not the blood of goats or calves, but his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. In Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Perhaps at this time he's hearing the voice of Christ saying to him, Release the four angels there at the great river Euphrates. That river that was named in the Garden of Eden. One of four rivers that was actually named in the Garden of Eden. Here we find that there were these beings that were created. And the Bible tells us that they were created for the hour, the day, the month, the year. That they have this divine purpose that God has set for them when they were released upon this earth to bring great trouble upon this earth where a third of mankind will fall. John teaches us these angels, they went forth to kill a third of mankind and they were created for this purpose for the day, the hour, the month, the year. We think, are they angelic beings just made for this purpose? Are they demonic beings? So I, I looked it up. I often refer to it. I think it's a good resource, got questions, good resource for you. And so I like to use that for our church body, partly because I want you guys to get used to it. Got a question? Um, I've not come across anything in gotquestions.org that I troubled myself greatly over. Sometimes we may differ a little bit, but they said of this, these four angels are demons who were cast from heaven along with Satan. God is right now keeping them in prison until the appointed time. So they are bound, and to me that's a clue. They are bound at the great river Euphrates. That's what it tells us here in the book of Revelation. To me, that is a clue. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ saying 
in Matthew 25:41 to those unbelieving Jews he will say then he will say to those who are on the left side depart from me you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels and so talking about the unbelieving people whether Jew or Gentile actually the Lord one day will say to the sheep and the goats to those who are on his left hand the goats Depart from me to that place prepared for the devil and his angels. In Second Peter 2.4 it tells us, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for the judgment. They are chained, some. God has appointed the hour, the day, the month, the year of this judgment to come against the unrepented. And so this great demonic army, now being released, the number given to them in verse 16 is 200 million. He said, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and those who sat on them with breastplates of fiery red. I can't say that word. Some type of blue. Sulfur yellow. The heads of horses were like the heads of lions. You can ask Lily how to say that word later. She'll have it down. Out of the mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By fire, by smoke, by brimstone, which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads. With them they do harm. And so this explosive population growth that has taken place upon our earth especially over the last hundred plus years we've seen that we've we're approaching right now according to current populations of the earth we are just right under or eight billion in population upon this earth and up to this point in revelation we've already been cut down to 50 percent of the earth's population while some have departed because of the rapture many have departed because of the tribulation that had come upon them. In Revelation 19, 19, John would write, I saw a beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies will gather together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army, that there is going to be a great human army that will come against the Lord at Armageddon. But this is not talking about the 200 million. These are better understood, once again, as demonic forces that are unleashed upon the earth. John describes them. Again, very descriptively with their breastplates of red, blue, sulfur, yellow, the heads like horses and of lions and where fire and smoke and brimstone came from their mouths. And so this is something unique that will come upon the earth. And we find that a third, once again, that theme of one third being destroyed. Some again have tried to describe this with the weapons of modern warfare. No doubt that modern warfare can bring great destruction upon the earth. But this is something that's spiritual that God's going to bring upon the earth. It's going to be horrific. But the unrepented. I kept thinking about this this week. There are some on this earth right now that thinks the earth's population needs to be called. Huh. The Marvel movies, um, Thanos who came, you know. Thanatos is death, that is in the Greek. The word for death, Thanatos, and they had this character, Thanos, who he wiped out with these magic stones half the world's population in the universe. Of course, you know, talking about all the other created beings in the universe and that whole Marvel's thing. But in reality, there are those on the earth that are thinking, this earth is too crowded. We're not going to make it if we keep growing. We need to cut the population down. They're going to get their wish one day. And look at the attitudes of their heart, though. One-third gone. And already been reduced by half. And another third gone as we go through these plagues. But the rest, verse 20, of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. 
that they should not worship demons or idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, or wood, which cannot neither see, hear, nor walk. They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. They had unrepentant hearts. They were impenitent hearts, as Paul referred to in Romans 2, verses 5 and 6. He's talking about his unbelieving Jewish brothers here, but it applies to this as well. It says, but in accordance to the hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgments of God, who will render to each one according to his works. And although those upon the earth at this time, they will have experienced calamity after calamity, losing loved ones at one point, crying out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, kill us, because this is nothing more than the wrath of God. Yet their hearts refuse to repent. Unwilling to repent of the works of their hands, their worship of demons their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immoralities, their thefts. Jesus said in John 12, 39 and 40, Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. There's an interesting uh, play on Hebrew words in the plagues in Egypt, in the Old Testament, during the Exodus. We know, Bible students, you guys know, Moses came and God gave him ten plagues to uh, come upon the land of Egypt. And we have the flies, lice, locusts, darkness, blood, death of the firstborn, ten plagues in all. Hail mingled with fire that came upon them. And in each of these cases, it tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord. So they would have a horrific plague. Pharaoh would come out and call for Moses and Aaron to come and say, you know what, stop it. Tell the Lord to stop it and we'll let your people go. And even one point with the frogs, it's kind of weird He called, I think it was the frogs, he called Moses forth and he said, all right, I repent, I'll let your people go worship your God, just stop this plague of frogs. And Moses said, name the time and date. Now, me personally, I would say right now. He said, tomorrow, why wait 12 hours even? But he waited. But after the frogs were gone, he hardened his heart against the Lord. So there's actually three different Hebrew words that are interchanged as you go through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And there's a point to where the Lord would say to Moses, before even all of this happened, he said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And then there is this hardening condition of the heart. And finally, there's a Hebrew word that refers to the Lord made firm the condition of Pharaoh's heart. That he continued to harden his heart over and over again against the Lord until the Lord made firm the condition of Pharaoh's heart that no longer could he turn. It appears here in the book of Revelation we find a similar thing taking place. They continually keep hardening their hearts against the Lord until the Lord makes firm that condition and all that's left is judgment to come. Their unrepented hearts, impenitent hearts, hearts that refuse to repent, no longer sensitive to the work of God or the Holy Spirit in their lives. May it be that our hearts would always be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. May we be a people who would turn away from the things of this world, which only lead to sin and death. And finally, may we truly turn to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we might be saved. Father, I pray that you would help us to do so. This very hour, even today, Lord, if there are those who do not know you as Savior, I pray, Lord, whether 
as we speak this message right now, whether people are listening through social media, through the radio ministry, or here with us today, if there's need for repentance, Lord, I pray that those who you've pricked their heart, may they repent. But I pray, Father, that you would work in our midst. Keep our hearts as your church soft toward you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to go through our believe, receive, grow, and go. So I don't know how it's going to go, but I've heard this toward the end of this week that there is a possibility of new government lockdowns taking place. Um, We've seen kind of an uptick. You can come sit down, Mark, if you want. There's been an uptick of almost seemingly threats by the government. Um, We're not doing how we should, apparently. Got to wear your mask, get the vaccination, got to do a lot of things. There's even one news anchor that said, and here's the thing, you know, they started giving government money out, and uh, they said, this one news anchor, her opinion, if they're receiving money from the government, then the government gets to tell them basically what can be put in their body. No free choice. Be careful about that money that we receive from the government, right? They're always taking from us, and now they're trying to give back to us to what? Take from us again. But this time, it's personal. So my soul has been vexed this week, hearing some of these things like, no, not again, Lord, but we're looking at the future and as a child growing up in the church, we'd learn about the book of Revelation, things to come. And I think the Lord's coming to rapture his church, and then a bunch of bad things are going to come upon the earth. That's true, but it doesn't mean that a bunch of bad things can't really start sh- taking shape. And I think we're kind of in that taking shape place. And now we have to learn how to walk. How do we do that? I believe it, it goes perfect with our church's motto of believe, receive, grow, and go. One, if we don't believe in God, we don't receive Jesus Christ, we can't rightly grow in our faith, and then we'll have no ability to go and share Christ with others. So these four things are necessary. So let's just run through them together, lock them in, because the world is going to try to say, you know what? You need to unlearn the things that you've been taught. It's like, nope. We need to continue to stand upon the truth of God's word. And if the world doesn't like it, so be it. God help us in the process. So we say together, believe, Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. It all begins at believing that there is a God. We have raised now several generations of children who no longer believe that there is a God. Our country is in danger. But not just believing that God is. We have to receive his son as our savior. The Bible tells us, Romans 5, 17, For if by one man's sin... I just needed a drink of water, and I don't have any. It's a rare time that my pulpit is unsupplied with water. But I tried to swallow, and it's like, it's not going to work. Hebrews 5.17, much more. Receive that abundance of grace, that gift of righteousness through the one, Jesus Christ. All right. After we receive Christ, it's important to grow. Do you know just a couple of weeks ago, Mark Zuckerberg he discovered that he could make a lot of money through churches and Facebook. And he was thinking, you know what? Church would be perfect watching online all the time. Don't show up and worship together. Sorry, Mark. Hebrews tells us that we need to gather together as the body of Christ. We can use Facebook, social media, but we need to gather together because we have to grow together. 
And, you know, I do online courses in college and Horizon University where I'm taking courses. And some of those classes, like I did a refresher in Greek. And at the end of the 12 weeks, I told the Greek instructor, I said, you know what? There are some things that you just need a classroom setting to. And when you're learning a language, you need to be able to have the whiteboard and have people kind of getting it in you. And it just doesn't work studying by yourself. Christian faith, although God can work in our lives individually, and he does, it's better when we come together, we grow together. And the word of God tells us about the importance of growing. Peter wrote, we say together, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. But just don't take that knowledge and just say, man, I'm real smart now. We need to go. We say together the Great Commission, Matthew 28:19 and 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have taught. And, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We are planning to have a baptismal service at the end of August. If you would desire to be baptized, please let myself or Pastor Kevin know. And we'd love to um, share with you and uh, do that great work for you. If you have questions regarding faith, if you're listening on the radio through social media, you can email us at cclv at comcast.net. And let's close out in worship. And Mark, when you're finished with the song, can you just close us out in a word of prayer? Sure. Thank you.